You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. My dear listeners, welcome back to The Relatable Voice. On today's episode, we are headed to California to speak to Rinita Hora. Originally from Mumbai, India, Rinita is a founder, marketing leader, and writer. She has not only one, but two books coming out next year. One is called Playtime in Back, and the other one is called Operation Mom. How I got my mom, my life, and a man, <laughs> which is amazing. So welcome, Renita. Thank you, Lucia. It's great to be on the show. Thank you for having me. I am very honored to have you here because you are doing a lot of amazing things. Well, thank you. I always tell everyone, my friends, my colleagues, that I'm a bored human being. So I have to do whatever I can to escape from my nuclear family, because otherwise I'll drive them crazy. And they say to me, hey, mom, hey, friend, hey, whoever, don't you think it's time you had something else to do? <laughs> I understand what you mean. So, Renita, I've been to India once, but never made it to Mumbai. It's such a beautiful country, and it's one of my favorite foods. What do you miss most about India? Oh, my gosh. You know, I am born and brought up in Mumbai. And Mumbai is, okay, India is this widespread place, but Mumbai is very unique. It's, it's like a city, country, culture, microcosm in and of itself. And when you come from Mumbai, when, you, when you're born and brought up there, and this goes for, <laughs> I'm speaking for everybody I know uh, from there, you have a unique identity and affiliation with India that is, is and can be quite different to sort of anywhere else in India. It's kind of like, you know, in New York City, in the United States, I may be from the United States, but if I'm from New York City, that is quite different to being from anywhere else. And that's what it's like with Mumbai and India. So when you ask me what I miss, I miss Mumbai and everything about it, the way it smells, the way the air tastes when I open my mouth, it's good, bad and ugly, Um but it's just something that is so unique to there. I miss the food. I miss the people. I miss the attitude. You know, my husband and I are both from there and we live in the U.S. and we travel to many places and we love all of that. But when we walk into a room, 
with other people from Bombay, Mumbai, when we grew up, it was called Bombay. And so we still call it that. Um, there's a sudden sense of comfort because the attitude of the room shifts and we just sink right into it. I, 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 I would tell you, I went to Chennai and I loved it. But I really want to visit Mumbai, of course, someday, eventually, yeah. I'm planning to go. And I know I've already listened many things you do, but you are an Ayurveda clinician as well. I really think this is such an important lifestyle, Inita. It is indeed. And, um, you know, Ayurveda is 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, somewhere there years old. We'll never know exactly. And to be honest, my take on Ayurveda is quite different to that of other Ayurveda doctors, clinicians, practitioners, um, for the simple reason that I found myself living outside of India. And I knew it at the time that I was actually learning the practice as well. So in India, those who practice Ayurveda tend to take on a very traditional um, take. They tend to have a very traditional take. So they will practice in a clinic, in a hospital. All of that is excellent and good. But I knew that I was going to be outside of India. So what was I going to do with it? I said, you know, this is really a lifestyle system, which actually I think is very basic and common sense. And is something that we Indians, South Asians, we just lived. We didn't think about it as medicine or something. It was just what we did. So if that's the case, then that's what my take needs to be. And I should be talking to all the people that I'm exposed to outside of India about how to live this science of life, because it's just common sense. It is. I agree with you. <laughs> and um, in your early days of moving to America, you founded Ayoma. And it's Ayoma, is that correct? That's correct, yes. Uh, and it's an Ayurvedic self-care product line and the Ayoma Life Spa, a premier Ayurvedic wellness spa. So can you tell us about it? Yes, absolutely. That was my very sort of early, early hand at entrepreneur, you know, life of an entrepreneur. It was a business that I founded because here I was, I was this Ayurvedic clinician and I knew that I was not going to live in India and practice in the traditional sense. So what was I going to do with it? I actually became a consultant to health spas, medical centers, um, leading to sort of lifestyle centers, wellness spas, that kind of thing. You might've heard of Champneys and the Canyon Ranch and Miraval, yep. places like that. These were my clients. Um, and I would teach them and train them in Ayurvedic protocols. So Ayurvedic treatments, uh, Ayurvedic diet protocols, Ayurvedic yoga, yoga routines. And I would hold all of these workshops for their various practitioners so that they could incorporate Ayurvedic therapy into their wellness spas. So Ayoma, I wasn't necessarily intending to start up a product line or a business formally that way, but I needed the oils, I needed the herbs, I needed something to work with. Um, and I started out importing them from India. And then I did a lot of work here in the US and in Mexico, working with farmers to grow some of the herbs, to make some of the, the oils in as traditional a process as possible, etc. So that's what led to Ayoma, which was my Ayurvedic business, if you will, which I founded and then built 
and then sold <laughs> many, many years ago. At the time, my husband would always say, well, can you do it online? I was like, are you crazy? Because this is as offline as it gets. This is low tech. This is not high tech. Please don't try and destroy Ayurveda. <laughs> and here we are so many years later working in tech, right? <laughs> yeah, but I think Ayurveda needs to be done in person. Absolutely. Right. It's low tech. It's hands-on. It's in person. No COVID protocols. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about your books. I'm so curious about it. You're about them because you have way more than one book. You wrote a series of books on Ayurveda, but you also written a personal finance book for Indian women as well as fiction. So, Renita, what made you to want to be a writer? So, my goodness, I I don't know. I think I might have been five or six or seven or eight. I remember this when I said to my mother and other people, but to her first, that, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to be a writer. Now, this is the kind of thing a lot of kids say. So, yeah, you're okay, fine. So, great. What else is new? But I always had it in me. I mean, my friends from the time that I was that age will tell you, you know, I used to just get lost in sort of English and essays and writing, and I would send things to local magazines. And so I always had this in me. And then life, you know, takes you on other directions. I Uh, as you know, was an Ayurveda clinician. I had a business. I had other things. I had jobs. Uh, I worked in advertising, you know, all these kinds of things going on. And then, you know, for the longest time, I said, you know, I've got to, I've got to write my book, the one book, right? And that turned out to be my first book on Ayurveda. It's what I thought I knew at the time. I mean, I did know it. As a result, I got offers to write all these other books, also on Ayurveda, So it became a little typecast, books about Ayurveda. One could say it's good to specialize. For me, I was like, okay, but then I want to go deeper. The problem was that all of the publishing companies didn't want anything more than the basic 101 level of Ayurveda. And I was like, no, 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 you know, we got to do more. Anyway, life changes course. I sold my Ayurvedic business and I moved from the USA to Hong Kong. And uh, I was under non-compete and I, I lost my Ayurvedic practice because I had to, I had to move. Um, so that I kind of switched careers overnight and became a journalist, no. if you will. Yeah. A journalist um, with public radio primarily. And I was in Hong Kong, but print as well as, you know, broadcast And my specialty was finance. I was in Hong Kong. It was one of the four largest financial centers, uh, you know, on the planet. And um, there was a need. So uh, <laughs> for overnight, it wasn't exactly overnight, but it seems like that now when I look back, I go from wellness to financial journalism. And, I, you know, I went to, I, I went to school you know, uh, journalism school at that time. So you kind of did everything at the same time in order to switch career, ended up working on public radio. I had a finance show, which I created in the morning, financial news and analysis called Money for Nothing after the Dire Straits song. Uh, that was intentional. Um, and spent many, many years working on public radio on a variety of shows, actually storytelling show, financial news and analysis show, uh, other lunchtime shows, um, a kid's show, etc. 
and then went on from there to be recruited by Bloomberg, which is A, the complete opposite of public radio and B, certainly the opposite of anything I really think. I mean, you know, there is nothing in common. And it was around that time that I actually wrote this book called Money Smart, which was um, very specifically a personal finance guide for middle-class Indian women, very specific, very how-to, how-to kind of book. And then while I was living in Hong Kong, I had been developing my fiction actually at this point on the side for years. And my first fiction book, a YA fantasy fiction story uh, was published. It was called When Aria Fell Through the Fault. Now this Actually, I had written many, many years before that, but it just kind of sat there, if you will. Finally got it published. And another book also in that time frame, Operation Mom, How I Got My Mother a Life and a Man, which was completely the opposite of that. This is YA, but comedy, humorous comedy about a 17-year-old girl in Mumbai who wants to get her annoying single mother off her back. So she decides to set her up on these... uh, you know, through the dating apps on these uh, online blind dates. And the whole thing is kind of farcical comedy (laughs) as to what happens. And sort of years go by, I turned 50 last year. This year I turned 51 and I'd been working sort of other jobs. I'd moved back, you know, to the US. My books, writing and publishing had been a little bit on the back burner and I felt I need to put more time into it. And Throughout my life, I had written books, seven of them, only as a side gig, which, I mean, we don't have the luxury of being sort of Beatrix Potter and and whoever, you know, Jane Austen, who would spend full time writing, right? But I said, you know what? My writing projects are always going to be on the back burner if I say I have a day job and I have to do that first. So this year, I really decided, I said, okay, if I'm going to shift my life, I'm going to do it at 51. Now is when it happens. So I quit my day job and I said, I'm going to spend full time on my writing, my creative, what I call my creative projects, which is writing books, my podcasts and developing uh, some of my stories for film and TV. So my two books coming out next year is the U.S. version of Operation Mom, Um what was published earlier was the Indian version, Indian publisher, and now the US version comes out next year. And a new historical fiction story called Playtime at the Bog, which is actually a love story, interfaith love story set against the backdrop of a major massacre that happened in colonial India in 1919, which sparked the independence movement. You were a kind of jack of all trades. <laughs> this book title made me laugh. I am curious to know a little bit more about this book, How I Got My Mom, A Life and a Man. Yeah, I have to say, you know, the writing titles has not been my forte. I always argue with the publishers about what the title should be. But the premise of this book is this you know, she's a 17-year-old girl, Ila, in contemporary Mumbai, and she has a floozy best friend, and she wants to stalk her favorite pop idol, and her mother is controlling, and she thinks her daughter's obsessive, and she, you know, doesn't want her to stalk this pop idol. It's a waste of time, and so they have this mother-daughter conflict, which we all have, right? 
as a daughter, I have it with my mother. As a mother, I have it with my daughter. I just seem to be surrounded by these women. We're all dysfunctional when we get into the same room. And there's this energy of the same woman in different sort of generations, which drives every male crazy. They just want to leave. I mean, yes, right now, my husband's not here. My son is at home for the holidays with my mother, myself, my um, daughter, and, you know, another companion who's visiting. And my son was going nuts yesterday. He said, when is dad showing up? Because the dog, who is male, that's not enough. I need real male company. (laughs) So there's a lot of comic elements. Um, And I just decided, you know, I need to sort of, you know, create a story around this. And it just evolved because my family, my nuclear family had left uh, the country at that point. My husband at that time was taking my kids to summer camp and I was sort of alone doing my radio job in the mornings. And I had all afternoon free to sort of develop this story. And I just got, you know, I love humor and I love the dysfunction of humor, (laughs) you know, and I feel that I have a lot of material in my life from crazy, crazy characters who I can fictionalize and, you know, turn things around on their head. In India, traditionally what happens is mothers are setting up their daughters. Oh, you know, you got to get married and you got to do this. And, you know, we've all faced that. And I was like, you know, let's just flip that whole thing around. Who cares? Let's have the daughter set up the mother. I mean, and a single 45, 46 year old mom of a single daughter. I mean, she's got a whole life too. She wants to go dating as well. She, you know, she's got an opportunity, you know, herself. So let's flip this whole thing around and, you know, have some fun with it. <laughs> I think it must be very funny. It is funny. It is quite hilarious because it really shows that sort of obsession and sort of anxiety in a humorous way that both the mom and the daughter have. The daughter simply, Ila, wants to get mom off her back. So her floozy best friend says, hey, let's just get her laid, essentially. Okay, and we'll use the dating apps. We'll set her up. And Ila's like, yeah, but, you know, this is my mom. These guys online, they're the weirdos. You know, what if they're weirdos? So what they decide to do is set up these fake dating profiles in the name of the mom and then go and check out the guys beforehand just to make sure that they're not a complete weirdo. And so you've got these different set pieces that happen in these different locations in Bombay with these different characters from, you know, the different ethnic communities. And, you know, as any family member will say about another family member, Ila says about her mother, no, that guy is No way. No way, Jose. You know, he's too nuts. He's not going anywhere near my mom. And, you know, she and her best friend are arguing and, you know, dad is showing up and he's flustered and, you know, has no place and doesn't know what to do with all these ridiculous women around him. So it is quite funny. And I had a lot of fun, you know, writing it as well. (laughs) And Renita, you've written a lot of books directed to women, and especially Indian women. Uh, How do you think the landscape of literature and media has changed for women from India? You know what? I am happy to say that it has changed and it is changing. I mean, for the longest time, you know, over the course of history and certainly all the years that I was growing up, I mean, women were kept in their place. I mean, this was always a topic and we must evolve and all this kind of stuff, but women were kept in their place. And in literature, in film, what you see on screen, women always had these stereotypical roles, okay, which, and I'm going to 
point right back to us and say, we Indians, male or female, even the females, we encourage this. We, you know, we say women are kept in their place, but then we haven't done anything to sort of move them out of that place, you know. And the women are very much about, they've got different standards for daughter, different standards for son. And I've grown up in a family like that. So, <laughs> you know, I'll be the first to say it. Um, but in the last several years, since the publishing industry has really opened up in India, you see a lot more literature about women, progressive women. And it's not even, prog- I think women were always progressive. It's just that their stories were hidden away and just never brought to life. So their stories are coming to life. You're beginning to see a shift on screen, in TV, in film with the whole Netflix, Amazon genre and the kind of roles that women play. So they're not just um, stuck at home, mothers-in-law, you know, dominating over daughters-in-law. You know, that's still, we still see that, but it's not just that anymore, thankfully. Thankfully. I'm glad to hear about that. (laughs) Brianita, tell our listeners, how can we find you, your books, your podcast? Tell us about everything. Yes, I'd love to. So you could find me on my website. That's the easiest place. It's renita.com. My first name, R-E-E-N-I-T-A.com. And I would love to invite you to listen to Shadow Realm, which is my YA fantasy fiction podcast, which was based upon the story I told you about earlier when Arya fell through the fault. And it's about a young boy in San Francisco who's tormented by demons. He falls through a fault and finds himself in the land of the Ramayana, which is one of our epic mythology in India, and how he must fight through these demons, this journey. He must embark on this journey where he has to fight through, fight with demons and no spoilers the demon that he's expecting to see is not, it's the actual aspects of uh, demons in his own ordinary life. So, but no spoilers. I, I would love you to listen to that. That's Shadow Realm. And you can find that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to, you know, your favorite podcasts. Would also, for those who love fiction, as I do, uh, invite you to check out Chapter by Episode, which is a fiction app that I launched Earlier this year, a few months ago, this is a genre fiction app. We offer stories that are mystery, thriller, romance, crime, you know, what have you. I'm calling it Pulp Fiction for the Digital Age because it's an app. It's $1 per chapter, and that's less than your cup of coffee. So Pulp Fiction. In the old days, Pulp Fiction was the fiction that was written on printed, I should say, on the cheapest paper. Now, this is kind of on the on a digital format but on an app basis but still pulp fiction so i'd love you to check that out as well i'm sure our listeners are going to check it i'm going to check it when we finish the interview and we need that i have to tell you something you are a superstar because you do so many things and you are so solar I'm very, very happy to have you here today. Thank you so much, Lucia. It was such a pleasure being on your show. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember... 
relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.